Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. Say you want to, just for there's restaurateurs out there, managers, whoever, that their goal might be profitability. But profitability is a result of consistent human behavior. And we have to figure out what's the pattern of consistent human behavior that's going to deliver the goal. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. If every problem is a people problem, then you only need to get better at one thing, right? That's exactly why I called in Matt Rolfe. Matt is a people expert, and he's leveraging his 15-plus years in this industry to share what the top 10% do that's fundamentally different from the rest of us. My path really started in grade school where I was diagnosed with a learning disability. And as I got to high school, I remember a guidance counselor, I think it was grade 10, said, you're probably not going to graduate high school, so you need to find alternative employment. So I was a pretty scrappy, frustrated young person. So I ended up looking for people where I could find support and found the restaurant industry. They didn't judge me how I was looked at in the school system. They started to invest in me and develop me in very simple roles. And as I got into college, as I proved that model wrong, I got a chance to work for Labatt that's owned by Anheuser-Busch up here in Canada and Bacardi and traveled all over Canada and Ontario where I live working with hundreds of restaurant operators. And although they were selling lots of my beer, when I was sitting with them in their back office, usually with a cigarette in their hand back then and a beer or a glass of scotch overflowing at the top and asking me to stay for a couple more hours, but they're sharing that they were not making money or there was risk or their relationship was falling apart based on the stress of the business. So I ended up moving into coaching. I love selling beer as a 25-year-old. I don't think it's a dream job with tickets and stuff and beer and all that, but I made the decision to go out and I love our industry. And we brought a company from Australia that helped restaurants put about $100,000 to their bottom line in the first 12 months. And we did that through a few different services. And then what I really realized is we were coaching behavior change. What I love is leadership. I have no interest in inventory. I just happen to own an inventory company. I care about the result, which is the people. And seven years ago, we started exclusively coaching leaders and leadership teams, which is my passion. And how do we fix that people element of our industry? So many owners and managers and leaders that I've worked with have had to take advantage of slightly or were unclear on their focus. And that's really what I hope to change. And what's the hurdle? So for most restaurant owners and operators, I would assume that there's a universal hurdle that you're helping them overcome. What is that hurdle? Up front, the definition for me is how do we win? How does your restaurant or restaurant group win? And even it's this calendar year, or this upcoming 36-month period, if we're not clear on our destination, then our path can lead us in our pre-little chat here. We can end up somewhere with what's perceived as a very healthy restaurant or restaurant group that isn't delivering the experience or the financial ROI that we want. So I think it's designing the operation with intention and then understanding it's all driven by human beings. It's driven by people. So once we can build multi-million dollar restaurants, we don't have the right people. We're at risk of, of bankruptcy. We're at risk of losing our investment or over-investing our time. 
So how do we get clear on how we win? And you wrote a book and I read a ton of nonfiction. And in most cases, the author believes that they've discovered something that others haven't or that isn't common knowledge. And so in your book, you can't do it alone. What did you discover? What was the thesis that you were trying to prove out in the book? Yeah. And I think what I learned is so, you know, based on growing up with a learning disability, I didn't read a book till I was 25. And at 25, got handed a copy of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. I read it every year a couple of times. And I just became a very aggressive learner, self-education investing in Tony Robbins program. So what I was looking at, so as I was doing all this investment, I started to notice the language from the top thought leaders I was studying around identifying patterns. And I was able to find patterns of what the most successful leaders were doing and then how they were influencing their team. And I think anybody reading the book, and I share this very respectfully as we reference so many other great coaches, authors, and speakers, but I don't know if there's an aha. What we really did take was thought leadership and bring it into language and terms for the hospitality industry so it connects to our industry. But my side is, how do we lead with vulnerability? And that's really coming from Benet Brown's work, to be honest. And then my study and time with Brene Brown. And then I spent a bunch of time with Eric Thomas, who would be huge on YouTube if you go there. And what Eric really taught me was an execution-focused strategy. My concern is we're consuming new ideas. Content became free during the pandemic. So many, we have access to information at our fingertips. But if we don't turn it into an execution-focused strategy that gets us the results we want and deserve, it's just a noise for a lot of people, myself included. When you lead into that in the book, so you start by saying, that if you don't execute on any of this, it's worth very little. Derek Sivers has a great quote. He says that if knowledge was enough, we'd all be billionaires with six packs. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I absolutely love it. But I think it's a really valid point to start with. I think the conventional wisdom kind of in and near the industry is that restaurant owners aren't interested in learning. But I've got to tell you, with all of the restaurant owners and operators I've spoken to, you know, in many tiers of dining at varying degrees of success, Everybody's looking to learn. Everybody. But I do think that that hurdle is in executing what you've learned. And what I found valuable in the book was that you really do lay out a simple strategy for executing the content. We look at a couple different approaches, but I think there's a difference just to set somebody up to be open to learning. In my younger years, what I thought people wanted me to do when we were doing the profit control is come in and give you the answer. What's the quick fix? And some people are open to that, but usually when they're in a challenging position. But as a coach, and what I've learned is well, I'm not the context you are. The positive leverage to create change is grounded in what you want to achieve. So if we're going to make a change for you and your business, if you're going to pick up a book, my book, any others, all the free content online or do a course, if we're going to create change, it's around your ability to get clear on what you want and feel you deserve for your operation. And most teams that I coach are significantly over capacity, overwhelmed and overworked. So we just did a strat day to end up last week and we took them from 12 priorities to three. We all know this, but there's this addiction to overcommitment. So how do we simplify what we're looking to achieve? And then how do we get clear on what are the steps that allow us to get towards our goal? And we have tools and assets and resources to support people in this that are free. We just want to help people move forward. But if we can't stop overcommitting, and if we're not clear on next steps, not just where we want to go, our chances of getting there significantly reduce. When you start in a really interesting place, I was excited to read the book. I was excited to improve and get better and improve my business. And you lead right in with vulnerability, which is just a really interesting place to start. And 
objectively, it seems counterintuitive. Why begin there? Because from all of my work, what I noticed, and this is my own personal story, as a young leader inside a big corporate company, as I became an entrepreneur, how I acted was I thought that I needed to have all of the answers. So I showed up rigid and I had a suit on and fancy shoes and ridiculous socks, although I still like socks and shoes, but I just wasn't genuine in myself. And as I got into organizations like EO and hired my own coach, they said, you're doing really great stuff. But at times I overtalk, try to sound smart to justify the audience. I do these things and I wasn't willing to be vulnerable. And so when I learned the power of vulnerability, when I shared my strengths and my weaknesses, when I was able to get out of my own way, a few years ago, we put a CEO in place. My dear friend, James, who worked beside me, I actually put him ahead of me because he's the better CEO. And that was done through vulnerability. And as I look to the top leaders that I coach, they just had this connection with themselves and also this approach to their people. And you have this, everybody who knows you has it. And we even shared that in the pre-call, but just to want to be real. How do we show up and be real? People don't want perfect. They want real, especially in my experience post pandemic. And if we can do that and lead with vulnerability, in my experience, it creates significantly more connection, trust and results. I would say that the single biggest change I made in my life that had the biggest impact on my life personally and professionally was in transitioning from trying to appear like a guy that has it all together and that everything's going incredibly well uh, to somebody that you wanted to root for. I thought to myself, I can't imagine anyone's laying in bed at night going, man, I really hope Mark Cuban's okay. I hope he had a good day today. You know, you want to be that person that people hope for and that they root for and that they invest in with their time and their money and their emotion. And I agree with you. I don't think you get there without vulnerability. Yeah, I think I really started to test the waters and I took some pretty big leaps prior to the pandemic, but through the pandemic, like my vulnerability is my learning disability. It took me years to talk about my learning and that I was told I wouldn't graduate grade school and high school and was failed. I've suffered from anxiety and depression my whole life. I've grown up in a family with significant addiction and got into issues with that at a younger age. And as I shared these things and was real and saw the response, especially in our industry and from a caring, genuine spot where I think you could overshare vulnerability, but just showed up real and took it to a deeper level when the context was right, the connection that was there allowed us to get the noise out of the way. So it's not about vulnerability for vulnerability's sake, but often for somebody, there's something in the way of allowing them to make the change they want. And when I was able to show up real and relate, and I think you do this at a brilliant level with the stories you shared before, right? It's just real, true stories, honest people. And again, I don't appeal to everybody based on some of those stories, but the ones I do, I create really strong connection with. Well, and once you're open, once you're vulnerable, you then have the opportunity to become clear, which is what you cover in the next chapter of the book. You dig deeply into clarity. And I can tell you from personal experience, the pandemic was the first time in my life that I had a minute to like sit down and question the choices that I had made over the last 40 years. And I was able to go from being really foggy to really clear on the choices I wanted to make moving forward to get my life in order. But for those that are still foggy, what are your favorite tools for creating clarity in our vision for ourselves and for our restaurants? I did a work a retreat or started last week and we talked about vision boards and one of the person cringed as soon as they actually had a physical reaction and they said, <laughs> I don't scrapbook and you better not bring a felt and Bristol board. But that goes back to law of attraction. I think the number one key to being clear is we have to know what our destination is. And I think it's a 12 and 36 month period. And we take people through very simple visual exercises. And I learned this from my 
I've spent about six weeks locked in a room with Tony Robbins in my life. And it goes back to the same exercises. Most influential coach, possible you know, entrepreneur doing 7 billion in sales now on that side. And he goes, the biggest thing for him, and I remember him yelling at me about a decade ago in a small room, and there's a great picture of it, but and he's yelling just his animated presentation, but it's like that clarity is power side, that, that whole clear is kind in Brene Brown's piece. If we don't know where exactly where we're intending to go, it creates risk. So people spend more time planning their vacation than they do their business or they do their life. And I think that's proven like your case. You said with your move from LA down to San Diego, right? That takes planning and time. How do we make a commitment to ourselves and those that we care most about us, our team and our families, to invest as much time in planning out our goals for business as we do our vacation day to week? And I think that there's this nagging, gnawing thing within us that I struggled with for a really, really long time, which is it was really hard for me to plan out my goals because deep within me, I didn't believe that I deserved it. I didn't believe that I deserved any of it. And I went through this exercise. It was totally organic. I didn't read it anywhere. I sat down one day and I wrote down everything that I wanted in life. And it was hard to do. I wanted this life. I wanted my days to look like this. I wanted to own these things. And then I went through all of the reasons why I believed I didn't deserve it. And then I went through and I overcame all of those objections. It's amazing how on a deep level, we can conspire against ourselves. And that prevents clarity because you can't have a firm, kind of like a Napoleon Hill-esque, like a really concrete vision for your future if you don't believe you deserve it. Yeah. And I think looking at just the want and deserve, so we anchor in two sides. What I talk to a lot of people I coach is as humans are very simple, we either move away from pain or we move towards pleasure. And unfortunately, majority of us move away from pain myself included. And I've had some really significant shifts in my life, even through the pandemic. But one thing we're also anchoring is for me and watching others, I'll do a session, people write out what they want, but what I want them to really focus on is why really do they care? How do we create gravity that's strong enough in what we want that moves us away from where we are? Because not to get into the neuroscience of this, but our brains will continue to fire the same way because that's the patterns that they know. Whether it works for us or not, whether it's painful or pleasure or not, we'll continue to follow the roots and behaviors and activities. If we want to create a change, we have to create a why or gravity strong enough in the direction of where we want to go to make a change. And then it's breaking it down. I studied two topics during the pandemic extensively. One was habit change and the second was trust. And the one thing from all the habit change books that I read through significantly different authors, the way that they approach it, the only way to move forward towards your goals is positive recognition in the small steps. We cannot shame ourselves to change. We cannot look at the gaps to change. We need to look at small, tiny pieces moving us forward in the direction of what we want to achieve. If we want to lose 10 pounds, we have to celebrate losing 0.2 to be dramatic. And that's the side of half a pound. Yeah. Let's talk about heading in the direction that we want to go in. Most folks use the terms plan and goal interchangeably, but they're very, very different things. And you call out the differences in the book. What are those differences for people? Yeah, I think a goal is a finish line or a result. So where do we want to get to and what do we want to achieve? And ideally, we have a process to keep resetting progress as we continue to grow. So if we're looking at what's the outcome that we want, that would be the goal. And it should be clearly defined. And we talk about this all the time. Is it measurable? And one thing I work with a lot of people on is what's the behavior that produces the goal and that can connect to our plan. Because say you want to, just for there's restaurateurs out there, managers, whoever, that their goal might be profitability. 
but profitability is a result of consistent human behavior. And we have to figure out what's the pattern of consistent human behavior that's going to deliver the goal. So once we know the destination, and I really hope right now it's around retention or it's around guest experience, not just profit because we can deliver that. But then when it comes to the plan, what are the action steps? What are the interactions? What's the coaching? What's the support that allows us to make progress towards our ideal outcome? Are you a small business owner? Did you know that Visa's online small business hub has tools, discounts, and resources to help you run your business? So whether you're a business beginner or an entrepreneurial expert, find the solutions, tools, and tips you need to help you take your business to the next level. Plus, if you have a Visa business credit or debit card, you can get access to cardholder benefits like Visa Savings Edge, a savings program which can help you save on everyday business expenses like office essentials, travel, and more. When you enroll your Visa business card in Visa Savings Edge, you'll have access to valuable offers which can help turn qualifying business purchases made with your enrolled Visa business card into savings for your business. Learn more at visa.com slash smallbusinesshub. Once again, that's visa.com slash smallbusinesshub. Visa, a network working for everyone. You leave the chapters regarding people and teams by quoting Jim Collins, who is one of the most influential people in my life, hands down. And I can tell that you've internalized and adopted a bunch of his belief systems as best practices. What are some of your favorites? From Jim Collins, I think if we break down a few, so and just the way that I read, like I love Good to Great and Great by Choice too, and Built to Last. I found those books based on how I read, they almost like hurt my brain at the end. There's so oh, much yeah. in them, but I love them. But if it was you know, the other book that came out recently, Beyond Entrepreneurship or B 2.0, that he wrote 25 years ago, and they updated it a bit, but you know, one of the concepts there is first who, then what. Yeah. So first, who do we need on the team and then what do they need to do? You know, it's about the people that we're attracting. But if you really focus on who's on our team and then what we want them to do, and that goes back to his other comments in Good to Great and Great by Choice, right people on the bus in the right seats. We all know this language, but we take all of our clients through an exercise. And I believe in your people and I want them to succeed. But are we supporting them, coaching them, developing them and setting them up for success? And often when we break it down with the leadership team, there's gaps there. So I think it's first who, then what, and then how do we get people in a position to succeed? And if we do that, we have a much stronger chance of success. If we're not clear in having that conversation actively, it can put us at a lot of risk. Well, to draw a very clear line in the sand in this conversation, every problem is a people problem. Once you see that, once you see it clearly, it reframes how you attack every problem. If we go to the beginning, the root of the issue, how do we find great people? In light of a global pandemic and a labor crisis, where are those great people hiding? I can hear it in your tone too. There's resistance there. Well, sure, Matt, you think you know where they are. You tell me where they are. Sure. Because yeah, it's a problem, right? In my experience, as people are approaching their attract strategy and their retention strategy, the same way they did pre-pandemic. So we're not doing much different. And we've broken down and we have a free hour recorded webinar that we post. It's the top content we've got. It's like drinking from a fire hose from an hour. You can break it down. But after 10 years of studying the topic, I think it's not necessarily about them. It's about us. So how do we properly write a job ad that talks about the candidate, not about ourselves? Where and how do we post, boost, support? And one of the biggest gaps in the attract process for me is the filtering of resumes. Before we call somebody once and see if they'd show up, because we're going to, if they're lucky, we'll offer them a job. But we're creating visibility dashboards around who we feel are qualified. Don't over filter. 
are we contacting them three to five times minimum to try to invite them and attract them to our interview? And then from there, it's looking at a, just a different format interview structure and a faster process to offer. That's all tactics. But what I want people to hear is the tactics work. We've done this with hundreds of restaurants, whether it's from call centers to quick service to full service to fine dining. But it's what are you doing differently to stand out from your competitive set? And that's not just comp. Our team's just hiring part-time for other company. Anybody who comes to the interview gets a $20 Visa gift card. It's not a lot, but it's a part-time hourly job here to do inventory, literally put kegs on scales, and our team's full. Where most people can't find back as staff, they're literally up at four in the morning putting kegs on scales, having fun doing it. But it's a different approach. And then where I think the real heart of it is retention, but that's a whole other conversation. Well, and that's where I want to go next. But I really want to highlight what you just said, because I think it's super important. You're recruiting talent is what you're doing. You are aggressively recruiting talent. You're not taking no for an answer. You understand that there's a lot of noise out there and you are making sure that you as an employer are seen and that when you are seen, there's an overwhelming value prop there, right? Yeah. And I talk like fight relentless. Like we're in Toronto, you're in San Diego, LA, right? We have two of the biggest cities or areas in North America. Toronto being number four, and I don't, most of my work's outside Toronto now, but an operator last week said we can't find people. I said, that's absolutely, and my, as a coach, I need different levers. So this is intentional, my energy here. Absolutely not the case. It's our mindset around how we view what the media is telling us on a shortage right now. Yes, we're in a challenge, but there are people in every major city in North America able to work. We need to fight and relentlessly pursue the right candidates. We have to do it with a good heart. We need to have fair comp. It's not about what they need to change. What do we need to change in order for our people to come and stay? But it is a strategy and it's a fight and, and they're out there. And I'm not asking you to go rip staff out of your competitors because I've seen some of that, but it's a little bit of how do we recover from this? And I'm sure when you had your operations, right, or have your operations, like there's a swagger to it. You've got a brand that people are buying into you. And if that's not on display in your job ad or through the process, then we're missing out. As we get into retention, which is the next conversation I want to have, I think you do a great job of providing an employee roadmap that shows people that even though you don't love your job today, you love this company and this is how you can grow within it. Yeah. We talk about a path to leadership. Somebody asked me, like, what are the two biggest gaps yesterday? And so one of them is if you don't have a clear path to leadership. So if somebody joins your team, we get a young 20-year-old that's excited. They're coming out of school. You know, They're ready to jump into their first career, and they start as a supervisor, key holder, host inside your restaurant. The opportunity is to show them a path to leadership. So what are the positions inside your restaurant? We're not making promises here, but we're showing them the map of how do they move from where they are time-wise, experience deliverables to move up to get to an AGM role or a GM role. And what I like about this process from putting it in place is it's not just putting, here's what you need to do as a candidate to move forward. It's holding us accountable as leaders and managers to invest in our people along the way, to have review conversations more frequently, to create dialogue about development. And not everybody wants to move up. Not everybody wants to progress. Some people are happy where they are and we can identify them and support them. But the ones that do, we can have a different conversation with them and hopefully move them through the path to leadership, which is what we all want in business, people that want to learn and grow and develop inside our groups. But if we don't have a simple one-page document that shows the path to leadership, people get unclear. My phone has rang hundreds of times through the pandemic. Most people I know that quit their jobs quit because they didn't know where they fit in the organization anymore or they didn't know where it was going. 
And for most of those groups or independent restaurants, they were healthy and fine. They stopped communicating. I don't know where I fit. I need to go somewhere else outside the industry or inside the industry so I can feel safe and I can trust them. So this is a simple reoccurring conversation monthly, quarterly that keeps people aware of where they fit on your team. What else can we do to help retain great people? Yeah, and I think retention, it happens by design. So one of my big pieces, and there's a bunch I'd want to share on this, but if there's one thing that we really get into is that growth and development. So the Gallup organization does the largest staff engagement or employee engagement survey every couple of years, 8 million people across eight business sectors. Every time they do the survey, since I've looked at it over the last 15 years, number one is once their base financial needs are met, a manager, leader, employee's base financial needs are met, I can pay my rent, pay my mortgage, go to dinner. What I want is the feeling and the environment so I learn, develop, and grow. So when we're looking at retention of our people, and we talk to hundreds of managers, leaders a year in what we call discovery meetings, what they want is space and time. And I think an effective, true and authentic one-on-one process, not a manager one-on-one, here's your performance, here's what you need to do different. Some teams need that depending on the stage you're at and I respect it. But giving space so somebody to share and engage with you, you're going to drive questions around what do they want to need? What's in the way for them? What does support from you look like for them? We have a seven-question process. Again, it's not ours. It comes from the incredible book, The Coaching Habit, and Michael's allowed us, as everybody else, it's everybody who can go through it can share it. I've studied so much on -on one-on-ones, and I've done a lot of bad ones. It's the most brilliant process to create true trust, connection, and support for your people. And once we have clarity, once we have a plan, once we have goals, once we have a team in place, the next thing you tackle are the three core drivers for your business. And what you're really talking about there is focus. What are the three things you're going to focus on every day that are going to move the needle in your business? How do you figure out what those are for your restaurant? So this is on a Zoom call, in a boardroom, or in a meeting in the restaurant, we can decide on the drivers. And ultimately, they're about behaviors. Usually, we're expecting back house or front of house to deliver. Where I think the gap is for a lot of operators is they communicate, here's what I want from you. And then they follow up or they don't. And some ways when they're following, hey, we, we want to get to 90 and we're at 78 and what the heck's going on here? But what I want people to do is if we set the goals, we inspire our staff, we motivate our staff, we create space for them to lead and get out of the way, drive average check for an example. But then we need to recognize, reward and celebrate what they do on a shift basis as close to the moments as possible for them to see the behavior, to make the feel good to know that it's a focus, to know that it's a positive. But most people are missing the recognize, celebrate, and reward element. And reward doesn't need to be dollars. It can just be a very simple structure. But I think people need a little bit of reinforcement around what are they doing? Is it creating the result that we wanted? And a little bit of happiness celebration back inside the restaurant. What's a rally cry? A rally cry is just that all-in focus. And one of my clients I was with last week or two weeks ago, that is their rally cry. It's all in. From our side, is our rally crime is to be the number one people-focused coaching company in North America. That's it. And I took me a lot of time, a lot of time to say that out loud based on I think there's ego behind it. There's not. It allows us to wrap people, allows us to grow our team, and allows us to support more. But a rally cry is that energetic. When you shared that, I almost thought of you know Braveheart, Mel Gibson, you know, standing there with a rally cry. But it is what's something your team can get excited about, can get motivated about. And it's playoffs right now in the NBA and it's playoffs in the NHL. If you watch anything on SportsCenter, watch the games, every single team has a rally cry on their t-shirt for their season. A lot of them did have the all-in statement a couple of years ago. 
as it was a focus, but a rally cry is that why should people care about your goals? If your goals are financial and profit-based, they probably aren't going to excite your frontline staff. So the rally cry can put the statement, we're going to be best service. One of our clients we worked uh, this month was our neighbor's first choice. Like that's rather we and dominantly be the neighbor's first choice. And when they are, it creates competitive point of difference from all these national operators. They're into, they have 18 independent pubs with different brands in the city of Toronto, beautiful locations. But if they are their neighbor's first choice, we talked about how that connects to community, how that connects to the staff, how that creates a sustainable competitive point of difference. And it was fun. It's like, we're going to own this space. What is the 8 to 13 concept? So this is the challenge. I go back to starting a coaching company. So it's great to go to a workshop. Everyone's like, great. And the owners are all excited because we created these new goals and priorities. And I've got 22 managers staring me in the eyes that if they could kick me in the shin, they would. They're like, Matt, what am I going to do this stuff? Where does this fit? And what we wanted to do is create a concept where we could clear some noise out of the way because when we share, we need to focus more on service or attraction or retention. What I saw from working with hundreds of leaders is their mindset thought, again, that I need to spend 20, 30 hours a week on that. And my belief is if we can spend 8 to 13 hours a week on our core drivers, on the focus of them, move the business forward, and then do our job the rest of the week, whatever that looks like for the position, we can fundamentally change a business inside of 90 days. So it's a mindset shift to give ourselves permission to spend eight hours a week, three on Monday, one hour on Tuesday, spread the hours out, block them in red visually in our calendar. Because one of the challenges in our industry is we're meant to be at service of our guests and sometimes of our managers, of our employer. And we don't give ourselves permission to work on what moves the business forward when it's not early in the morning or more than likely late at night. So it's the one thing is to surrender that the noise is always going to be there and that's our job to support it. But if we want to have a successful, sustainable business, we need to spend eight hours a week consistently for 90 days for three months coming up. I promise you, myself, I lost 40 pounds recently inside of three months. Everybody said crash diet. I didn't do any dieting. I just did consistent focus. The pandemic was disruptive for my self-care for a period of time. If I can change, if I can lose 40 pounds in 90 days, imagine what your managers can do if they double down on guest satisfaction, if a team of them eight hours a week, if we double down on our relentless attract strategy, where we don't tolerate being short on a capacity anymore. We still might be, but we don't tolerate it. We're not going to accept it. Spend that time there and watch the results follow. But again, it's a daily conversation wrapped around those eight to 13 hours a week. You're a coach that talks about the value of becoming a great coach. And the tool that you use is a coaching strategy. What does a coaching strategy look like? This is one thing we'd get into, and there's more detail on this in the book, but it's deciding what's the age and stage of your team and what do they need from you right now? Because we all hear this term coaching, right? You can Google anything online or go on your social feed. It's going to be, hey, be a better coach. The gap that I see is that is missing for most managers and leaders. And even I have to relentlessly invest in my own coaching knowledge is that we all know how to coach because we played sports teams when we were a kid and we understand we had a coach so we know how to coach some of the restaurant groups that i go into they have their gms doing one-on-ones for a full day a week but is it designed with intention so there's a flow of the questions there's an outcome that we want from the investment because if there's not and you have natural management turnover you're going to create disconnection in the process so i think when it comes to coaching what does your team need from you right now What time needs to be committed to get the right return on time, not just return on investment, but how do we get a return on our time? 
And then it does need to be a bit of a process just based on growth of your restaurant or restaurant group or natural turnover. It's not about an individual. It's about the team having a process that we feel is best. And I encourage you to stick with it consistently for three to six months minimum, but maybe twice a year we might have new questions in our one-on-one or change our coaching approach. But I think the side for us now is your people need communication. They don't just want it. They need it. Or what I'm seeing is they'll leave. They want to feel trust and support in order to, to meet your retention expectations. The best way to do that is create 20 minutes on a bi-weekly frequency time about them in the right coaching structure for you. And again, watch the impact. I want you to watch it, feel it, and experience it because it'll come quickly if you stay consistent. You end the book with a step-by-step for a 100-day plan. What can be accomplished in 100 days? A lot can be accomplished in 100 days with focus, but the 100-day plan is meant to make sure that we make realistic commitments to what can be. And we use the analogy of a plane taking off. So a plane, which I didn't know until a couple of years ago, working with some master therapists actually shared this with me. We were doing, trying to take some coaching work and investing in a program there. But they said as a plane takes off, it uses 70 to 80% of its fuel in the takeoff stage. So we call this a flight plan. So we set a goal where we want to be 100 days from now. But the key to success is probably 15, 20 measurable points, possibly in the first 30 days, possibly in the first 21 days that allow us to get off the ground, keep it in front of us and make sure we're going where we want to. So it's all this energy to get off the ground. Then we obviously have our flight path that we're meant to follow. And as we land, we have a black box. So at the end of the 100 days, we can say, what did we learn? What would we do different from the black box recording, which is the result or where you get to? But I think the 100-day plan is what we're trying to do is we want to be clear on what we want. But if we can get people moving in the direction of their goals with focus, then it happens. I think it's, I don't know, 90-some percent of New Year's resolutions don't get followed through on come February. It's because we know what we wanted. We just didn't figure out the steps to get out of the gate properly, to get the plane off the ground. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Yeah, I think one thing that's standing out for me, for anybody in our industry is, although we're at a different stage or chapter of the pandemic, depending on where you're at, is one thing I want for you is to continue to fight. I'm so proud of our industry. I've been in tears multiple times to feel emotion now just for what we've been able to, to, how we've been able to fight, what we've been able to accomplish, but we're not through yet. If it's a young manager growing up, if it's an owner, you know, the manager continue to fight to deliver, continue to fight for your advancement. If it's an owner, continue to fight to make sure we get the cash flow we want and need to be successful. And then what I want for you is, again, I'll go back to the simple language. Everything begins with intention, clear intention, and clear outcomes. What I shared in my team meeting last week is our team can work 60 hours a week each right now and move ourselves backwards. There's so much to do. But if we don't have the right intention and focus on what matters most, we might not get the result. So for intentional, where we want to go, what our drivers are, but just the two years went by and it's almost like, where did it go? Time moves quick. So I want for you what you want to achieve for your business. And that all starts with clear intention and relentless outcomes. That's Matt Rolf. For more on Matt and his company, visit mattrolf.com, madfeed.co. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.